Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits, specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode 6. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Today on the show, we've got John Richards. Uh, John, thanks for making time. Pleasure to be here. So uh, you've had a couple of exits. You run a boot camp now. Can, can you give us a little bit of the John Richards story? Well, um, I uh, was raised in Seattle, Washington, and uh, went to uh, college in Utah, so Provo, Utah, at Brigham Young University. And I uh, was pre-med, but my senior year, I rediscovered a love for business and decided not to go to medical school, but finished my degree in chemistry. And... Went back to Seattle and got into the Yellow Pages industry because uh, while I was in college from 80 to 85, in 1984, uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, federal breakups of a company, American Telephone and Telegraph or AT&T, happened where it was broken up due to monopolization practices and it uh, was broken into eight separate companies and that really weakened the phone company and its different lines of businesses so it was a real opportune time to compete against the phone company and uh, Yellow Pages was one of the lines of business that uh, and we went into that to compete against it. Uh, Pretty successful opportunity it sounds like there. Yeah, the print business uh, in Yellow Pages uh, for a hundred years had been a very lucrative industry on a percentage basis the highest 
percentage profit for the phone company actually even over copper wireline service so it was uh and it was unregulated so it was easy to compete and uh, offer better pricing and and put out competitive yellow pages products and that went really well and we were a really progressive publisher that did a lot of innovation with uh four color ads and and just innovative products that uh stepped up the game in the entire Yellow Page industry. And then after about uh, 10, 12 years of doing that, more in the mid-90s, uh, the Internet hit. And when I discovered the Internet, I realized the potential for the Internet to uh, eviscerate, <laughs> so to speak, the uh, printed Yellow Pages. And so I launched one of the first ever online Yellow Pages and partnered with some people from Microsoft to uh, form a company ultimately that was known as Infospace that uh, went public in 1998 and was one of the uh, large success stories of the dot-com era and that was up again in in east of Seattle in a city called Bellevue Washington and and uh, the Redmond Washington area where Microsoft is located and so did that and I retired in 2001 and BYU then offered me a teaching position uh, to teach entrepreneurship which I took and moved my family to Utah from Seattle and uh, I stayed 12 years at uh, BYU as a professor of entrepreneurship and helping run the entrepreneurship center there and uh, then left there to go to Google when I helped Provo and the mayor of Provo, Mayor Curtis, sell the fiber network that Provo had built to Google and then Google uh, asked me to head that up for the first couple of years which I did and it was a fun interesting time to uh, be with Google but be able to stay in my hometown of Provo. So that was kind of a fun experience. And since then, after leaving Google after a couple of years, I've run a uh, boot camp for entrepreneurs called Startup Ignition, which runs 13-week intensive boot camp experiences for those that want to learn how to start a company uh, following good lean startup principles. You know, um, and and do I have the details right? Um when that went public back in 98, didn't that go for like $38 billion or something when it yeah, listed? Yeah. Is that right? It, the market cap went very, very high. Yep. It was the dot-com era. Those were the days. No kidding. That's exciting. Um, well, you definitely did better off the Yellow Pages industry than I did. Um, I'm a little younger than you, and uh, I got into the Yellow Pages as a newlywed um, and uh, was an inside sales guy at one of the last uh, yellow page companies down in orange County, California, calling people trying to get ads. Oh, wow. And, uh, I had all these, you know, it's funny talking to kids today who have, you know, just haven't like my kids haven't seen yellow pages. Right. Right. And, uh, but I remember my managers back there saying, you know, they, they're just trying to hold on to that print world tooth and nail saying things like, you know, if you're, if your pipe breaks in the middle of the night, you, you're not going to go Google this. You're going to, mm -hmm. you're going to go get the yellow pages. Just admit it. You know, mm -hmm. these are not going anywhere. And I remember us like 20 year old kids, <laughs> yeah. like we're, we're biting our tongue. We're like, no, I, I would go to Google. <laughs> yeah. The, right. the, the yellow pages didn't go away as fast as people thought, but they also, uh, didn't stay around as long as, uh, the old guard in the industry thought they would. So it's, it's interesting seeing such disruption in an industry, but it really was quite disruptive. And I'm just glad I sold my print company and got a good multiple on it. Now, if you had a print company, you can't even give it away. Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Skillshare. They're doing a promo for us, for everybody listening to the show. It's Skillshare 
youtube.com slash leader where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from, and, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's skillshare.com slash leader. Yeah. Um, what do you credit your foresight to, the ability to see where things were going and, and get ahead of the curve on that? Well, I was always kind of innovative in the industry. I served on, and I networked. I served on the three major Yellow Pages industry associations and their new technology committees. I was often the head of the new technology committees in the industry. So I was constantly watching and looking out for new technologies that would impact the industry as a part of my participation in those associations. And so that gave me good insight. And uh, in my own company, I, I was the first to do a lot of different things, uh, even going back to when it used to be just black ink on yellow paper. And then we started printing it on white paper with a yellow mask over it so that the ads could have white backgrounds. Those are called knockout ads. And then also we said, well, what if we could do four color printing and do four color ads with nice photos of four color artwork and, and the ads and that brought innovation and different things like that. And ultimately, to where the internet came around and of course the internet was a real game changer for uh, especially for a database product like the yellow pages which the yellow pages is really just a database and of course uh, databases thrive in a online environment where everybody can have access to the database in real time so that's it doesn't take a lot of vision to see what's coming yeah um, but I guess my question is you know, even my managers at our yellow, you know, Transwestern Yellow Pages, okay? That's funny. Were... I, I knew Transwestern really well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So they were, uh, they were being bombarded with the information. I mean, people were trying to shove that information down their throat, and they were actively ignoring it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you credit, like, um, I mean, obviously you weren't the only one to pick up on that trend, uh, why, why do you think that you didn't resist it? Why do you think that you were well, I uh, did adopting it earlier? Well, because I've seen the cycles going through and it's just part of understanding, you know, just going back to the innovator's dilemma, one of my favorite books, by, you know, written by Christensen. Clayton Christensen, right? And it's just, you know, when a new disruption comes, the old guard and old managers try to do the same thing they've been doing, which brought them great success, but now brings them their downfall. And so that's exactly what you would have seen at Transwestern. It's not that the managers actually made mistakes. Um, they were actually just doing what they'd always done and would always work for them. But when there's a disruption that comes, that leads to the downfall, which is, of course, the dilemma behind the title, Innovator's Dilemma. What does an innovator do when a disruptor comes and disrupts them and how you react to that. And you can see that in so many different industries and we see it all the time right before our eyes. And so what I did was, I think the right thing to do, which is to completely throw away the old industry. 
instead of riding the dinosaur, I moved to the new industry. So I sold my print company at the height of its value right before it was going to fall in value and got started in a brand new industry, which took a while to come up to speed. And that way I was able to extract high value out of the, the outgoing old industry print yellow pages and take advantage of the excitement over the new disruption of internet yellow pages and that's I think part of the is understanding those cycles that are really well explained in that book and so uh, I, I really credit a lot to understanding the, the cyclical nature of how things go and that that happens um, and it happened it's happening before us you know it was interesting to watch it happen to with Blockbuster and Netflix, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Blockbuster had no idea how to respond to Netflix properly. And then they were too late when they finally did respond, which was the wrong thing to do. And it's just fascinating case study to see that one's very similar. So much of the, the sunk cost bias and we look at all these assets we already have. We can't abandon these, right? Yeah. Just look, let's look at the tele, the, the telephone company's copper wire investment. Would you want to be the owner of all that copper wire? Wow, right? You know, being that the show is so much about how connections and relationships can accelerate, you know, organizations and careers, um, you know, you mentioned there that you were on these different uh, committees and boards in that, in that industry. Can you talk a bit more about just the advantages you saw from that? Yes. Um, it's very easy to be an insular company, just running your company, being your own um you know, just dealing inside, but you'd lose a lot of insights you'd gain from being exposed to the greater industry. And so uh, I really made a conscious effort to get involved in these national and international Yellow Pages associations, as an example. And, you know, there's some risk. I even started taking my staff to them, and there were a couple of staff members that jumped ship and went to other companies because of what they got exposed to. But overall, I got exposed to a lot of opportunity and a lot of knowledge and a lot of connections that really enhanced my ability to go to the next uh, generation with the Internet Yellow Pages and my contacts there. I just The overall net gain is tremendous to participate in networking organizations, even though it takes time and there could be some risk to exposing your subordinate staff to it because of uh, competitive offers they may get. But still, the net-net for me has always been tremendous because I learned so much from the peer-to-peer -peer interaction. Yeah. Um, when you think about situations like that, um, what advice do you have for people when, they, when it, you know, relationships do take time? It's, you know, the, the, the cheesy cliche of a guy shaking your hand with his business card ready to go. He hasn't even heard your name yet. You know, those are obviously something that most of us like to avoid. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you have about the way to, to be a part of a group like that? Well, assuming it's just something to do with business. So in saying that, I'm just naturally inquisitive and I ask lots and lots of questions, maybe to the point of annoyance, but um, I'm really fascinated and, and just simply love business. And so asking other people about their business, how it works, where, how they got started, what, their uh, secrets to success are and how what operating tricks and tips they have all that kind of thing I love to just sit and ask questions and learn about that and you know uh, more so than talking about me or myself and what I'm doing even though that does naturally happen because then the other party starts asking the same type of questions back but I think that's being naturally curious 
and inquisitive about others and what they're doing and what they're about is a, one of the secrets to networking well. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, turning a little bit here more to the Utah focus, um, you and I are both members of, of Corporate Alliance um, at that C4 level. Um, you've had such a big exit, you could be doing anything you want with your life. Um, why, why join Corporate Alliance? Well, interesting. So um, with the financial independence that came, my wife also wanted me to be engaged in something every day, just like a regular job. And she knows that about me first so that my children at the time, because I was kind of young with smaller children, uh, so that they would see me productively engaged in something. And she also knew that I personally am only happy if I'm building and growing something. So that's one reason to be actively engaged in building an enterprise and making a difference. And so um, that I'm helping lots of other entrepreneurs and companies through board positions and different things like that at, at any one time, quite a number of them. And then uh, with the current endeavor of a uh, entrepreneurship boot camp, uh, it just makes sense to be in Corporate Alliance and C4 and to participate at those levels and be around these folks. And it's um, just natural extension of what I said earlier, where if you're naturally curious and inquisitive about business, being in an organization like this, where you can talk to significant and successful people and find out about their industries and what they're doing is just a net gain for whatever you're working on. Plus you never know where opportunities will come up in the future. So it's, uh, so I guess to boil it down is one, um, it's just good to be engaged in something really proactive that's building and growing something. And number two, if you are engaged in something like that, being involved in corporate alliance enhances that experience and gets you out there so you get exposure to the peer-to-peer -peer networking and the knowledge that's happening out in the world. Just uh, sitting sitting in your own office is not how you become successful. Getting out of the office is how you become successful. <laughs> that's like a great t-shirt right there. Yeah. Um, and and why corporate alliance? I mean, there's there's lots of meetup groups out there. There's other associations of CEOs and executives. What is it about this group that attracted you? Well, a few things. First of all, Jeff Rust, the founder, is uh, somebody I've known for a number of years and respect and like. And uh, also a lot of the current membership are um, noted, uh, successful, dignitary-type people from the business community. So it's it's a, a really good association to be around and people that, you know, is something that, is a net positive and it's it's i guess i guess what i'm saying is the quality the quality of the founding founders the people that work there and staff it and then the other members is really high all the way around yeah i completely agree with that i was the other day i was trying to talk one of my ceo buddies into coming and checking it out and he was he was kind of the impression of like isn't that just a bunch of people in a room trying to sell each other something and i was like no no that's not that this is not that kind of meeting and uh I think I I agree with you, like that quality factor of knowing that the people you're going on this trip with um, have, you know, at least this minimum of a background and you don't have to spend that first 80% of a conversation trying to figure out, like, is this person just a big talker or did they actually do something? Mm -hmm. um, for me, it feels like an efficient way to connect with the kind of people I'd want to learn from. Right. And and even if there is the other type that you alluded to, I still, I don't know, this is just how I feel. I'm, 
I think I can learn from anybody and that everybody has their own experiences. And even if there's a big talker, it'll teach me something listening to them. And, and even if it was a, you know, a waste of time that other people might think I'd, I kind of chalk it up to saying, Hey, um, you know, I learned something from that interaction with that person. And so I think that if you have that attitude, then these things will be a lot more positive. Now I know people have limited time and can only need to be care really careful with their time. So that's one reason why you wouldn't want to be into kind of a subpar type of group like this. But, you know, like we said, there's a real um, uh, quality issue here um, with Corporate Alliance that it's high quality. So that's not a problem there. But I could see how somebody might find an inferior organization and say, ah, that maybe is not worth the time. But I don't think that's any kind of an issue for Corporate Alliance. Yeah. Well, thinking about this startup ignition, the the, the entrepreneur boot camp, um, I was interested. What, you know, before we started the show here, you were telling me that sometimes other entrepreneurs who have had a big exit, they'll be getting pitched. You know, some entrepreneur looking for cash, and they'll recognize, hey, this person, you know, probably needs to uh, grow some skill sets, and they'll end up sending them over to you. Um, can you talk a bit more about what Startup Ignition does and and why it's grown so much? Yeah, so Start, Startup Ignition is an entrepreneur boot camp that uh, I started. Basically, my son is the co-founder of Dev Mountain, a coding boot camp. The vertical area of software engineering and, and software coding was really the first vertical industry uh, to have the modern day boot camp over the last five years emerge to where a uh, short-term intensive boot camp that lasts around 12 to 16 weeks uh, was outperforming four-year degrees. So literally, if you went to one of these intensive boot camps career-wise, you had more results than a four-year computer science degree. And that's been really interesting to see. And of course, that industry is now much more mature and Dev Mountain has been wildly successful. Well, I brought my son in and to talk about his success with Dev Mountain into a class one time. Uh, and this was in his early years with that. But uh, and some of the students out afterwards came to me and said, hey, why don't you do entrepreneur boot camp so that I don't have to matriculate to a university? <laughs> I had to matriculate to a university, take a bunch of GE courses and take a bunch of prerequisite courses just to get into your 400 level college class, which changed my life. What if you did that outside so anybody could take it? And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. And I started looking into it, found out there was a market for it. And we launched and in two days filled up the first class. And it's been going for two years now. And uh, it just really helps entrepreneurs you know, avoid 90% of the problems. They're not going to avoid all the errors, but they're going to avoid a lot of them. And then to do the so it's learning to do the right things and to avoid the wrong things. And it's really seems to have gone well so far. A, a byproduct of it is interesting. All of my um, wealthier, exited entrepreneur friends who may or may not be angel investor types, they've come to me and said, John, this is amazing. Um, now I have a place to send all the people that come to me wanting me to invest in them. 99 out of 100 times I can tell that they're not prepared and ready to take my money and they need to really work on a lot of things and now I can give a value add by just saying you know I'm not going to make an investment decision right now I need you to go talk to John Richards and, and Startup Ignition and get indoctrinated in, in good startup practices and then let's talk after that and that's really helped a lot of people to you know uh, know how to handle all the incoming 
inquiries for capital that they get. So that's just, that's what I meant by that story I was telling you. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, because, you know, it's, it's funny, I think for entrepreneurs that have made a lot of money is like, you want to encourage people for having the guts to try. And at the same time, there's all those like, Ooh, you're about to make a whole bunch of mistakes I made. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, you it, know, it, it feels I, like I, you get to straggle both those worlds. Yeah, I kind of view it. See, I'm known for kind of being blunt, and I hope I'm going to do it in a very kind way, but it, it, I just can't sit back. If I have an entrepreneur come to me, it's not uncommon for me to say that is a terrible idea, and that's a terrible business, and you really should do it. And I don't stop there. I say, and here's the five reasons why, and I tell them what the problems are. And a lot of people don't do that because they don't want to discourage them as an entrepreneur or something, but I... Uh, go the other direction and say, well, do we want to encourage them to waste their time and capital? I mean, and more than even capital, it's time. I mean, you know, you waste a year or two on a startup that should have never been started and you've really, really hurt yourself. Now, a lot of people come back and say, well, that was cheap tuition. Two years I ran at it and it failed, but I learned a lot. Well, that's not a good outcome. You can learn just as much by failing a lot faster and succeeding. <laughs> you don't need to spend two years on a failure. And so anyway, that's, well, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Hopefully in part two of the episode here, we can talk more about that. And, and sounds like you guys are implementing elements of the lean startup and some of the things that could really help people. Yes. Um, there. Well, listen, I think this is where we should stop for part one of the episode. Um, everybody, please make sure to, to listen to part two, where we'll be continuing the conversation with John and John, thanks for making time. Thank you. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com thanks at farmers insurance we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer that's just asking for trouble seen it covered it click for more we are farmers bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.